people were just, you know, so grateful. They donated enormous amounts of money in Australia. You will, after, after this, you will see Alfred streets and Prince Alfred pubs all over the place. It was in Sydney that the most dramatic incident of his visit took place. And that took place at a picnic that was held at Clontarf. And he was shot in the back. I'm Jen Kelly and this is In Black and White, a podcast about some of Australia's forgotten characters. Normally we talk only about Australian characters on this podcast, but today we're talking about someone who was almost an Australian in some ways, and indeed we might consider him an honorary Australian. Today's episode is all about the scandal-plagued visit to Australia by party boy Prince Alfred, the son of Queen Victoria. The Prince was the first member of the British royal family to visit Australia and huge crowds followed wherever he went. But the tour was marred by a riot in Melbourne, a heartbreaking tragedy in Bendigo and what was considered Australia's first political assassination attempt in Sydney. To tell us the story, we're speaking again to the wonderful Carolyn Fraser, the State Library of Victoria's lead curator. Welcome once again to the podcast, Carolyn. Thanks, Jen. Now, of course, our podcast is about forgotten Australian characters, and Prince Alfred was certainly not Australian, but I was intrigued to read that at one point there was a suggestion that he should become the King of Australia. Yes, well, he was almost an Australian, and in some ways he is and was an honorary Australian. Um, so Prince Alfred was the second son of Queen Victoria and Albert, her husband. And in 1867, he was the first royal visitor to Australia. And this was part of a worldwide tour. And during that time, it was uh, really incongruous because, you know, Australia at the time was uh, populated by, you know, many people who had escaped the confines of class-bound Europe and Britain particularly, and yet they went just crazy for the idea of a royal visit. And in the State Library, we have a document which records a proposal made by one of the early colonists that the country federate and that that Alfred be installed as the King of Australia. <laughs> Is there any suggestion about what people thought about that proposal? Well, I don't know how widely it was uh, supported. However, the proposal itself goes into great detail about all sorts of geopolitical and cultural and economic benefits that this would have. Um, so it indicates that there was a certain amount of support and if the crowds that you know greeted the prince have um, uh, suggest anything, you know he was wildly popular. So I don't know that it would have been an unpopular uh, suggestion, except with Alfred himself. He wasn't keen on the idea, and in fact, it had already been suggested that he become the king of Greece, and that had been he was very grateful when that was um, on the head by uh, Lord Palmerston, the Prime Minister of Britain. So I'm not sure that he would have enjoyed it, but there were would have been a considerable number of Australians who would have who would have really liked the idea. 
<laughs> now, given that Prince Alfred was only Queen Victoria's fourth child, why was he chosen for this first royal visit to Australia? Well, this was a, an interesting period uh, in the British monarchy. So Albert had died in 1861 and pretty much from that time onwards, Victoria, in her enormous grief, became more or less a recluse, which really had very negative uh, impact on um, the uh, reception of the monarchy and just its, its status in British society. We, and it was seen as being out of date and remote and perhaps even irrelevant. And so this idea of a royal tour, and I'm not certain whose idea it was, was really a PR masterstroke. It really was really revitalized the British monarchy for the modern era. And you know, there's a number of reasons why perhaps Alfred was the person chosen to go. So the Prince of Wales, his older brother, was the heir, the presumptive heir. And his wife was Princess Alexandra of Denmark. And it's thought or known really that Alfred um, had quite a crush on, on his sister-in-law. So that possibly was one of the reasons he was chosen to go. He was also um, a seaman. He was a member of the Royal Navy. And so he captained the ship, the Galatea, that they came to Australia on and to Brazil, Japan, and uh, the other places that they visited during the tour. So why do you think Prince Alfred was received so well by the Australian public? Was it simply that he was the first royal to come out and visit? Or was it because of his sort of party boy lifestyle? Well, I think it was a combination. Now, his lifestyle would not have been widely known by people in Australia before he arrived. Before he arrived, um, there were many, many months of preparations for the visits. And in the library, we have uh, many photographs that show these extremely elaborate arches that were constructed in all the major cities that he visited and the towns. Um, the cities were covered in bunting, illuminations, all sorts of decorations, many featuring his image, which no one actually, uh, he, no one had seen him. There had been no photographic representations of him. So when he arrived, um, he did uh, wryly note that there were many images that his mother would not recognize. And so it seems that people were just really taken by the prestige of the visit, the celebrity. Um, he was a young man, so apparently many women were very excited by the prospect of meeting him. Um, as it turns out, he was, Alfred was quite a party boy. He really loved gambling and women, theatre, parties. And so he uh, he brought an entourage of his own, but he um, quickly found friends here in the colonies to uh, facilitate these kinds of activities. So it was a, a his his uh, his popularity was a combination of those things, but it was quite incongruous. Um, you know, this was a, a very egalitarian society, a very democratic society, um, Melbourne in particular, uh, was immensely wealthy in this moment. This is really on uh, the back of the gold rush. Um, Melbourne was one of the um, biggest cities in the world. And what did he get up to while he was in Melbourne? Well, he had an extremely busy schedule and he was really, <laughs> his schedule was divided between his uh, official um, uh, duties and the things that he really wanted to be doing. Um, and so... Everywhere he went, he was presented with addresses of 
of allegiance and loyalty. These were often read out in full. He was very, very bored by this. Um, there was an event that was uh, held at the State Library, um, and at one point there was an enormous crowd of people outside holding flaming torches for a nighttime procession through the city, and somebody was going on and on interminably, like, you know, reading out these oaths of loyalty, and he just kind of quickly interrupted and asked them to hurry up because the Germans outside were burning their fingers. And so he was really quite, you know, he was he was fettered in this very official way. Um, but what he really wanted to be doing was hunting. Um, he uh, shot thousands and thousands of animals during his time here. He went to parties. He developed a crush on a singer, Madame Celeste, who was performing at the time. He frequented brothels on Stephen Street, which is now known as Exhibition Street. Um, he hung out with uh, the chief commissioner of police, Charles Standish, who were really facilitated uh, much of this activity. We have a diary at the State Library uh, written by Curtis Candler, and uh, he recorded many of these, um, uh, I guess, uh, less official uh, activities that the prince undertook during his time here. I should mention that we did an earlier podcast episode on Charles Standish, who we dubbed the party boy police chief, including all the mischief that he got up to with Prince Alfred. So if listeners want to hear that episode, you can go back and look for the February 10 episode. It's a great story. So, Carolyn, can you tell us about the day Prince Alfred was supposed to attend a free banquet for the poor on the banks of the Yarra in Melbourne? Yes, well, this was uh, something that was organised by uh, Dr. L.L. Smith, um, who was well known in the city, and the wife of the governor, um, uh, Lady Manor Sutton. And this event was in response to the fact that there was a perception that, you know, the prince was being fated by, you know, all of the wealthy inhabitants of the city, but that they ought do something for the normal people. And, uh, and so this was described as a banquet for the poor. And it was held on the banks of the river. Um, and Prince Alfred was um, uh, expected to be attending. 50,000 extra people turned up than had been expected. Um, they were waiting for the prince to arrive. Uh, it was quite hot. It was a November day. People were getting very restless. And uh, Standish actually got in touch with the prince and said, look, things are not, you know, we, we're not certain about this. Uh, you know, do you want to come? And Alfred did say that he would attend, but then eventually they decided that he wouldn't and a riot broke out. Um, food was flung around, uh, giant uh, vats of wine were overturned, people were collecting wine in their hats. Um, it was a total mess. Now, what about his visit to Bendigo? Because that one turned out to be pretty memorable too. It really did and really for tragic reasons. So he uh, arrived in Bendigo, he was uh, taken to a mine, um, taken down into the mine shaft where they hosted a lunch for him. There were hundreds of candles illuminating um, 
the uh, the table. Um, during that uh, lunch, he was presented with a selection of gold nuggets uh, and allowed to uh, to select one. In fact, he selected numerous nuggets, uh, way more than was his fair share, and that was uh, uh, not looked upon uh, entirely uh, favorably by the owner of the mine. Alfred really loved jewelry. He had uh, all every finger had a ring on it. He had a big gold bracelet. Redmond Barry, the coordinator who coordinated the prince's visit to Melbourne, commented that the prince's hands were less human hands than turtle fins. And how was all of this visit covered in the papers? Was the coverage favourable? I mean, he's, he seemed to do so many things wrong, didn't he? Well, there was enormous amount of coverage. And another item that we have in the library is a series of scrapbooks that were kept by Augustus Tolk. Tolk was the first librarian of the of the um, what was then known as the Melbourne Public Library, now the State Library. And these enormous scrapbooks are filled with clippings from the prince's visit. I have this vision that Tolk spent most of his days uh, during that period of time in his office cutting and pasting clippings into these books. So the press coverage was, for the most part, extremely favourable. It was very comprehensive. Um, so, yes, I, I think that people were quite taken with the whole the spectacle of it. What else did he get up to while he was in Bendigo? Well, the citizens of Bendigo, uh, you know, put on a great display, including an enormous procession. Um, part of the procession was a replica of the Galatea, uh, the prince's ship. And this uh, miniature Galatea was crewed by children dressed as sailors. And this is where a really tragic event took place. And it's not entirely clear how this happened, but somehow the model Galatea caught fire. There were boxes of fireworks on the model Galatea that then they also exploded. Four children were injured. Three of them ended up dying. And uh, so that was a, a terrible, terrible event. On the same day, uh, that night, there was going to be a ball held at a newly constructed hall, the Prince Alfred Hall. And but just before the ball was meant to begin, the illuminations were lit they set fire to the building and it burned to the ground. Oh, my goodness. It just seems like trouble followed him around on this tour. I, know, I don't know that Alfred would have necessarily seen it that way. He... Um, after the fire, um, or well, during the fire, really, he suggested that they move the, the ball to another location. And he arranged for the orchestra from the Galatea, um, of, of which he was a member, uh, to play while they were getting set up. Mm. So how did the prince react to the deaths of these three children? Well, he did He did um, insist that the flags and all of the bunting be lowered uh, to half-mast. But the uh, mayor decided that they would go ahead with the celebrations as planned, and it was only after the prince left that the funerals were held for the children. Now, what did the prince get up to next? Was he was he off to Sydney after that? Yes, he, he went to Sydney, and it was in Sydney that the most dramatic incident of his visit took place. And that took place at a picnic that was held at Clontarf, and he was shot 
in the back. And he was shot by a man, um, Henry James O'Farrell. Very fortunately, the bullet was deflected by a, a pair of heavy, heavy braces that the prince was wearing. Um, the bullet lodged in what's described as his abdomen, but uh, looking more closely, it seems like it was more like his groin. He was uh, the assailant was wrestled to the ground. Um, the prince was uh, quickly. Um, put into a boat in the harbour to be taken to safety. Um, there are descriptions of how he uh, nearly got tossed into the harbour in all of the kerfuffle trying to get him into the boat. Um, he was taken to Government House. Um, three nurses who had been trained by Florence Nightingale and had recently returned um, were brought in to look after him, including and also uh, doctors both from his ship and other uh, prominent doctors in Sydney. Um, there's really interesting documentation about that day and his uh, condition and recovery. This is an era in which uh, there was telegraph communications between the cities and the Melbourne newspapers printed every day, daily uh, list of the telegraphs that they received every 10, 20 minutes um, about his condition. Um, as it turned out, he, he really was, he was not in mortal danger, although there was the desire to remove uh, the bullet, which they did do. So then, of course, there was the, um, you know, the issue of the assailant. And this man, uh, he was an Irishman. He was identified as being a Fenian, an Irish na nationalist, and the Fenians were considered by many to be terrorists. Um, this point was used to really kind of uh, stir up sectarian uh, feeling, and it was used to political ends, most effectively by Henry Parks, who was at that time a colonial minister, uh, later became the Premier of New South Wales. And O'Farrell was, he was very quickly tried in a trial that really seems uh, not particularly fair, uh, fairly run, um, and he was hung. Um, as it turns out, um, it's likely that he was uh, not acting um, on, he was not a terrorist. It was likely, more, far more likely that he was actually mentally ill. Mm. Now, how did the public react to their beloved prince being shot? This was just terrible. It was, it was so shocking to people all over the country. Everybody was, I mean, this was, of course, um, you know, the idea that he would be potentially killed while he was in Australia would really, you know, cast a pall on people's, you know, feelings of the kind of prestige of a royal visit. Um, there's interesting reports about how very quickly they tried to get a message to Queen Victoria to assure her of, you know, that he, he would, he would survive. Uh, she, however, did get message that he had been shot, um, you know, more quickly than um, those assurances got to her. However, it's uh, it's notable to say that there was uh, no attempt uh, by the British monarchy to uh, get him home uh, more quickly. The idea was that he continue the tour. People here. 
here were very, very concerned. Um, and so when it became clear that he would make a recovery, people were just, you know, so grateful. They donated enormous amounts of money. Day of Thanksgiving was announced. And we really still are the beneficiaries of that. Um, you know, there are a number of Prince Alfred hospitals in Australia. You will, after, after this, you will see Alfred streets and Prince Alfred pubs all over the place. So really, a lot of those hospitals and pubs and streets were named after Alfred because he was shot and survived rather than just because he was the the first royal visitor to come to Australia. Yes, I think so. I mean, it was such a shocking event. I mean, an interesting an interesting uh, thing about this, of course, was that the organisers of the Melbourne portion of his tour were extremely grateful that, you know, this had not happened, you know, while he was in their care. And and, you know, there was quite a lot of, um, of uh, self-satisfied um, congratulation that they had not allowed this to happen um, <laughs> and, and that, uh, you know, had done a better job than their uh, New South Wales counterparts. Oh, fascinating. So there was a fair bit of rivalry between Melbourne and Sydney even back then. Yes, certainly. Now, but I take it despite being shot and nearly losing his life on this visit, Prince Alfred actually quite enjoyed his time in Australia? He really did. And in fact, he he visited Australia two more times um, after this in an unofficial capacity. Um, So I think that he really did uh, look on his time here with quite a lot of fondness. (laughs) And what became of him once he returned to England? So he he uh, remained in the Royal Navy. Um, he was married in 1874, and he married um, the Grand Duchess Mari of Russia. That was an unhappy marriage. I, I'll, I'll say just one thing about their wedding that's really interesting is that an English bakery produced a biscuit uh, in honour of, of the couple uh, on their wedding day, and that's the biscuit that we know as the Mari biscuit. And it's still sold today. That's incredible. It is, and I don't think Mari would have been particularly happy to know that it's a pretty everyday biscuit. It's not fancy at all. She was a very <laughs> um, – she caused a lot of dissension amongst the English uh, monarchy because she really insisted that she was of higher rank than, for instance, her sister-in-law, who was Albert's wife. Uh, she demanded that she uh, be put ahead of, of others in the British uh, royal family in processions. There was a lot of unhappiness caused by Mari. Mm-hmm. Now, in Prince Alfred's marriage, there was there was a real tragedy, wasn't there? There really was. So, uh at their celebration for their 25th wedding anniversary, uh, one of their children shot himself in an attempted uh, suicide. He, he, he didn't die uh, then and there, but he did die about, I think, about four days later. And that was just absolutely devastating to, to Alfred in particular. What happened to Prince Alfred after that? In 1893, Alfred succeeded his uncle to become the Duke of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha in uh, the German Empire. And then uh, he didn't live for that much longer. He, in uh, 1900, he died of throat cancer only six months before his mother, Queen Victoria. Mm. Now, you mentioned Coburg. Is that where the Melbourne suburb gets its name from? It is. It is. And it's really in honour of, I guess, the British monarchy's uh, connection with this family. This is where uh, Albert, um, Alfred's father, was from this this area. Um, So, yes, that's where the name comes from. 
What a fascinating story. Are there any particular items or photos in the State Library's collection relating to Prince Alfred's visit that we could perhaps include in the story online associated with this podcast that listeners might be able to go and have a look at? Yes, we do. And in fact, um, one of the portraits that we have in the collection was a portrait taken very soon after his arrival in Melbourne. And it was really in response to the fact that, you know, people didn't know what he looked like. And, you know, this was an image that was circulated uh, throughout the city. And so it became very important. So we have a copy of that. Um, we have Tolk's scrapbooks. We have a, a lot of images in uh, digitized from newspapers of events that took place. Um, the ones that I love the most are all the images of the illuminations. Illuminations in this, during this period were a particular form of decoration that people were really crazy for, which was to do with the fact that it was during this period that gas piping uh, was uh, a, you know, a brand new technology. And so people would um, uh, use gas piping on the exteriors of buildings, paint these large uh, decorative scrims, hang them in front, and then light the gas so that they were illuminated at night. So incredibly beautiful, also incredibly dangerous. Okay. Now, um, obviously, once the State Library reopens, our listeners will be able to go in and have a look at your collection of objects and photos. Is that the idea? Well, this uh, a number of years ago, our guest curator Alex McDermott uh, created a display about the materials relating to Alfred's visit for our exhibition Changing Face of Victoria. That's no longer on display, but people are able to find these items in our catalogue and any of these items can be requested and viewed in our Heritage Reading Room. So, Carolyn, obviously things are changing a lot in Melbourne with the, the lockdown and the rules changing. How do people know if they can come into the library to have a look at these items? So, please do check our website. All the information about access will be available um, on slv.vic.gov.au. Okay. And in the meantime, we'll try to put some of these photos on the website. So listeners can go to heraldsun.com.au slash I-B-A-W to find the story and photos associated with this episode. So Carolyn, any final thoughts on Prince Alfred's visit? Well, I think the, the main thing is that this really did mark the beginning of a new era for the British royal family. And I think it really marks the beginning of our conception of them as kind of glamorous celebrities. And this is something that we see right to this very day with our obsession with Harry and Meghan and what's going on with them. And just that relationship between Australia and Britain, which has always been an extremely complicated one. Well, thanks for sharing another amazing story. Thanks so much, Jen. And if you want to learn more, you'll find a link to a story and photos in the show notes. Thanks for listening. This has been In Black and White, a podcast about some of Australia's forgotten characters. Written and hosted by me, Jen Kelly, produced by John T. Burton and edited by Andrea Tees Evanson. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love you to give it a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Even better, leave a review. Or if you have questions or comments, please let me know by email at inblackandwhite at heraldsun.com.au. Any clarifications or updates to the stories will appear in the show notes for each episode. And to get notified when each new episode comes out, make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed. 
Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt, and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free, and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilant. One was shot in the mouth, and I thought he was dead. Another one been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.